Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. Welcome to this week's episode of Mom Jeans. Today we are going to talk about one of life's greatest inconveniences and yet one of its greatest tools in becoming a mom, your period. Since our podcast is all about exploring what you cannot control versus what you can control, we decided to be brave and dive into this topic since our hormones and cycles are driven by our genes with a G, and yet the implications of those hormones on us physically and emotionally are so crazy-making that we wondered, is there anything in our control? Okay, a little bio class for y'all. There are three hormones females have estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And two of those hormones are the dominant sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen controls the menstrual cycle because it's produced in the ovaries and some is produced in the adrenal glands. Your estrogen levels change throughout the month as your reproductive system goes through its monthly cycle. Estrogen levels are the highest in the middle of the menstrual cycle and lowest during your period, and then drop at menopause. Progesterone is secreted by the corpus luteum, a temporary endocrine gland, after ovulation to trigger the body to prep for pregnancy by thickening the uterine lining and prohibiting muscle contractions in the uterus to keep the body from rejecting the egg. If pregnancy does not occur, the corpus luteum, fun word, breaks down, progesterone levels decrease, and this triggers you to get a period. If the body does conceive, progesterone continues to stimulate the body to provide the hormones and blood vessels to grow the fetus. Bottom line, progesterone changes the lining of the uterus by causing it to build up or stop building up. So while that science is fascinating, because all of this occurs without any of our control, this can be very frustrating. Over 30% of women have irregular periods. An average period is a 21 to 35 day cycle with the flow lasting between two and seven days. But cycles can lengthen or shorten depending on who we are and our genes, as well as when we age and shift into different life cycles. So complications to a regular period can be higher or lower than average estrogen, breastfeeding, eating disorders or extreme weight loss or excessive exercise, PCOS, and you can see our past episode for more details on that, pelvic inflammatory disease, or uterine fibroids. Some women have a medical reason for irregular periods, heavy flows, painful cramps, or ovarian cysts, while others just have them for no reason other than every person's period is as individual as they themselves are. Wah, wah. So since there's so much variation in our cycles, comparing our cycles to others is just more fodder for feeling like we aren't doing something right. The best way to get to know your body and your cycles is to track it and consult your MD or your women's health expert on your concerns. 
You can use period apps on your phone. I personally use one that's just called the period tracker and it's got a little pink flower and it's very helpful. Literally, I'm, I was just tracking my period right now as you're talking because it reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> you can use the fertility awareness method, which includes taking your basal body temp and tracking your cervical fluid. Or just take notes, if you don't feel like spending that much time and energy on it, of the significant moments in your cycle, such as the length of it, the heaviness of the flow, spotting or bleeding mid-cycle, pain, or mood changes. We are all about education of your genes of the G to help you with your body acceptance journey, but we know that tips and tricks to get through a monthly pain in the ass, or should we say pain in the uterus, (laughs) might be beneficial. So we wanted to give you guys some more education by bringing on Amanda Montalvo. She's a registered dietitian whose focus is on helping women navigate their cycles, care for their bodies, and find what works for them. We explored in our talk about how to add nutrition, rest, and gentle movement into monthly schedules to support our bodies, depending on where we are in our cycle. So as always, we are supporting an intuitive eating practice with Hayes Principles. See episode four, Your Weight Part One, for more info on that. So in no way are we recommending to cut out items of your diet, telling you to increase vigilance about what foods you're eating, or make you feel like you have to follow certain dietary guidelines. In fact, you might enjoy us having a candid discussion about nutrition, the real definition of detox, and Amanda explaining how she encourages gentle nutrition from an anti-diet mindset. So get ready for some candid conversations, and we apologize in advance if your cycles end up syncing with ours after listening. Let's check out the interview now. All right, today we're welcoming Amanda Montalvo. She is a women's health dietitian that helps women improve hormone health naturally so that they can have PMS and pain-free periods. Amanda started off her education in nutrition with a traditional route, but after dealing with her own health problems after getting off hormonal birth control, she quickly realized the value of functional medicine. After healing her acne, balancing her hormones, and learning the value of her menstrual cycle, Amanda found her purpose, to help women create a body in balance and not settle for anything less. Unlike other programs that focus on strict food rules and treating symptoms, Amanda uses a compassionate and practical approach paired with functional lab testing to help you get to the root. Welcome to our show, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. So what is, you already gave us a little bit of your background nutrition, your bio. How did you get into women's health? I honestly, like I was originally started focusing on sports nutrition because I was an athlete in college and then I like got off the pill, kind of like you mentioned in my bio and like everything just went wrong. Like everything that you would just never want, like my acne got way worse. I always had acne, um, but it got way worse. I lost my period. I was like, well, I just, and I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't think any of that was going to happen. I was coming off because I was like learning about the pill in school because we learn about nutrient deficiencies and prescription medication. So like my mind was blown. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to take this anymore. I didn't even know that was a thing. And, um, then I was like, Oh, I'm just going to stop taking it. I didn't prepare my body for it. I didn't know. My doctor was like, you can just stop. So I just wasn't expecting it. And then that's when I was like, well, okay. So 
and then I started doing research and I was not the only person that this had happened to, right? Of course, there's like plenty of other women that have struggled, but there wasn't really any information out there then. I mean, this was like nine, almost 10 years ago. Um, and so I was like, I need to learn more about this and figure out what's going on. My only solution from my doctor was to go back on the pill because like that would regulate my period. Um, and so I was super frustrated and that's really what kicked off like all of my research kind of switching my focus. Like I was still very sports focused cause I was an athlete, but I was really digging more into like, how is this impacting, you know, like my recovery and my performance during practice in like sessions and stuff. So, um, that's really what got me super into the women's health. If you asked me 10 years ago, like you'd be a women's health dietitian, I would literally have laughed at you. I'd have been like, there's no way, but here I am. I want to, I want to throw out there because I want to, like, I so appreciate what you're saying. And at the same time, like I myself am a hormonal birth control person, like the, the like non-hormonal IUD or not being on birth control. That is not me. My body reacts very well to the hormone birth control. So any mama's listening to this and it was like, well, wait, should I not take hormonal birth control? No, that's not what we're saying. And certain people's bodies respond well to it, aka me, and others don't. So just just putting a pin in that one. No, I think that's a good point to talk about the different bodies because personally for me, after I went on the birth control pill, I developed gallstones and had to have my entire gallbladder removed. Are you serious? I was only 25. Yeah. So the doctors that I worked with were like, never hormones and birth control for you and your body do not work. Wow. They said I was one of the youngest people to ever see them have to have a gallbladder removed for that. So anyway, oh it, it's a great point. Like every to your and yeah. to your point, Amanda. Like then your story became like, wait, what? What? I wasn't prepared for my body to react like this, right? Yeah, I think just knowing there is a genetic component when it comes to hormones and there's also different, there's so many different types of birth control out there. So I think that's like the other thing is if one isn't serving you, talk to your doctor. Like I just was not getting that information from my doctor, unfortunately. And so that's like why I did a lot of the research on my own. Um, But there's different types of pills. Like I was on a progestin only. First, I was on a a combined pill with estrogen and progesterone, synthetic versions. But my issue was like, I have a very strong family history of breast cancer. So I was like, I don't want to take this. I know this increases my breast cancer risk. So then they switched me to progestin only and it made me very depressed. And so like for certain women, if if you kind of have that tendency or genetic factor towards anxiety and depression, progestin only pills can like exacerbate that. And so I didn't know that, but I, but I also don't know what I would have done if I did, because I had the breast cancer risk. It's a very nuanced topic. And honestly, it's one of the things that gets me so fired up about women's healthcare is this, because I feel like, I mean, the pill has been around for 50 years. I'm very grateful. I got through college. I also had an IUD at one point and I didn't have babies. I'm, I'm very happy and I would not change it, <laughs> but I also am like, is this the best that we could do after like 50 years of this? That That's like my thinking. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think that's a larger topic there. Yeah. Our healthcare system and we're still following things from what the 1880s. <laughs> so yeah. Um, well, can you tell our listeners a little bit you, in your bio, it had mentioned the word functional medicine. Like what does that mean to you? 
So functional medicine to me means like looking at, it's like a systems approach. So if we think about like our typical kind of conventional medicine where we go to the doctor and you have like an issue or a symptom, it's like they focus on the one organ that they think is responsible for the system or the symptom or whatever. And so functional medicine is more of like when you're looking at how other systems in the body could be impacting that one and things like nutrition and lifestyle and things outside of our physical body. So it's, it's just like covering to me, I look at it like zooming out and covering all the bases. Got it. So how would that, because Rachel and I are both health at every size providers, how does that tie into health at every size or does it? I personally think it does. I think um, we have this thing now with like wellness culture. I don't know what else to call it, but I feel like diet culture has stolen it. Yeah, we've we've, in like, we've hit on that. It's so, yeah, it's even more than like diets now. It's like wellness, and it's 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 like very privileged culture. I think um, we can kind of all see that, and it. I feel like that is it takes away from what functional medicine truly is. Because if you really if you go to like a functional medicine physician or like dietitian or practitioner that's not that is not kind of embedded in that wellness culture they don't prescribe specific diets and they're not like you know using detoxes and cleanses in like 30 day programs they're they're sitting with you and listening and figuring out like what's going on with you where are you at right now and like what are possible things that could be going along with that i feel like functional medicine has kind of gotten tied into this and i'm in a mastermind with other dietitians and a lot of them are functionally minded and um two of them it's not they're integrative but they're they're mostly like health at every size body positivity and so we have so many great conversations around this and that's really kind of the conclusion that we came to is that it's like this wellness culture and diet culture has kind of like taken over and moved into functional medicine just based on like what's trendy of course yeah you know like i hear that word and i have to be honest my first reaction is going like I don't like it because just what you're saying, wellness culture, lifestyle culture, diet culture, it, they just have really overtaken a lot of what? I, I don't even know what the word is. They've, they've just taken over. And so it, it's really destroyed a lot of possibilities for our healthcare. Um, so I'm glad you kind of reframed that a little bit to be like, hey, wait, functional medicine the, the goal is not detoxes and cleanses or food diets. It actually is sitting with the individual and trying a different route other than just medication. Am I hearing you correctly with that? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And or or working in conjunction with medication. Like a lot of my clients do take prescription medications. I think that's very looked down upon in like a lot of the space, but it's like if someone needs like an anxiety medication to help them postpartum, it's like just let them you know, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. But I think it's that we get so we people love extremes. And it's like they want to like go to one end or the other and people will sometimes get angry that I, I don't like to take an extreme. If anything, I'm the extreme that like you should not be doing that. Like if anything is an extreme, like people ask me about fasting all the time. I shared my friend's Instagram posts on intermittent fasting and I was like, I never should have done that because then you get all the DMs and like the messages being like, well, why don't like 
why shouldn't this? And why is it not good for hormone health and that kind of stuff? And it's like, no one really knows what's best for you except for you. And if you're constantly getting all these messages from like diet culture, wellness culture, whatever, it's really hard to hear that own internal dialogue. For sure. I saw this Instagram post that said the only intermittent fasting that we should do is the fasting while we're sleeping. That was mine. (laughs) Oh. That's mine. That shows you how how good I am at social media, quote unquote, good. I'm terrible. It's fine. I think what Tina's trying to say is that like, it's so hard to have these conversations about healing the body because our diet culture goes immediately into like, there's a diet to fix that. So I love what you're talking about. Like, there are so many ways to go to like you to amazing dietitians that have nothing to do with diets. There's ways to go to doctors and medical practitioners out there and figure out exactly what is off in your body and how to heal it. And it doesn't have anything to do with elimination diets. So I'm, I'm curious, Amanda, if you could speak to how do you talk to your clients about, about their health and about healing their, their hormonal levels without going into anything about um, an elimination diet or any of those other trendy wellness culture words? Yeah. And it's funny too, because a lot of people, they kind of expect that. Like when people, if people know me well, before they start working with me, they don't. Um, And I had one of my clients ask me about, she's like, I know what you're going to say, but like, what do you think if I try keto, you know? And like, it's, she has a history of thyroid issues. Like that's why we're working together. She also has a lot of gut problems and like, that's what is kind of driving a lot of her thyroid issues. And so that's what our focus is. And she's one of her friends just lost all this weight doing keto. Um, I'm like, talk to her in six months, first of all, probably be all back. And then second of all, I'm like, I'm like, where are you right now? Like that's, it's not going to help. And I think that's what a lot of us are missing. And sometimes we just need a little bit of guidance to kind of bring us some perspective on like, what should I be focusing on? Cause that's the hard part. So when I work with clients, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, where are you right now? What is your main concern? What phase of your life are you in? What stressors do you have going on? Like all of that's going to change your nutrition. And I think sometimes it's easy to fall into this trap of like, well, I ate this way before and I felt really good, which is important information to have, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you right now because things are different. Like, so I think kind of gaining that perspective, having a focus and understanding like, okay, in order for me to get here, I have to go through all these other steps first. And when you have this like roadmap, it just makes it so much easier to keep your eyes on your own paper because that's what people I've found have the hardest time with. Right. And so working in eating disorders and constantly having individuals come in and be like, oh, I'm allergic to all these foods or I have a lot of gut issues and my doctor just told me to cut out X, Y and Z and my hormones are off. All these things. My first like, yes, I want to check off all the boxes and make sure that there actually isn't an issue going on. But my first thought, I'm going to be honest, is you're malnourished. You're not eating one, enough food, enough balance, but the key is really just enough or this that you're, you're restricting during the day and there's binging or overeating at night or whatever. And so um, there's under eating involved. And so can you speak to that a little bit in terms of gut health and just in general? Yeah. And like, and I think most people are under eating that I see at least like definitely in my population. And so that's, it's, 
it's kind of makes it easier because then that's your focus is like nourishing your body more and shifting that perspective. Um, for me, like I don't like elimination diets. I think that they skirt right past the issue of that. There's an underlying issue in the gut. And so like in being or being restricted, like food sensitivity tests, like I have so many clients like, Oh, I'll send you my results. I'm like, don't need them. No, they're not going to change anything. Yeah. You know, like not, (laughs) and I'm not, you know, I'm much more compassionate than that, but like, it's not going to change anything because it's a symptom. Your, your food sensitivity is a symptom. It's not the issue. Correct. And and that's kind of like all I think of like women's health and health in general is that we, we hyper-focus on these little symptoms and we forget all the other moving pieces. So a big part of what I do with clients is like educate them around this. And that's why people love my Instagram and they love learning all this stuff. They're like, I feel so much more empowered now because I'm, you know, now I don't have to worry about eliminating this food or making sure I eat this. It's like, you get to really understand the pieces. And I think like that's the missing piece with everything is that if you are like, yeah, you might have a food sensitivity, but why, what is the, what's, what's the stress in your gut that is causing that sensitivity to occur? Why is your immune system reacting that way? And honestly, when I do gut healing with clients, which I mean, I literally every client usually has something going on. Um, Sometimes it's not as severe. It's not a big focus, but there's always some component And they're shocked because I'm like not telling them to eliminate foods because what's really going to heal you is your nervous system and your immune system. And if you are always stressing about food, if you're under eating, um, undernourishing your body, that's what's going to keep you from healing. Whereas if you're feeding yourself enough, if you're sleeping enough, if you're not over exercising, prioritizing time with like loved ones, like that's, that's all the stuff that helps balance that nervous system. Um, I'm sure you see this a lot with eating disorder clients, but it's like, you're always in that fight or flight, that stressed out state. And if that's, if that's what you're living in all the time and you're always stressed out about food, you're not even going to be breaking down and digesting your food properly. So a lot of it's like taking a step back and looking at these other areas that they might not be as much fun. They might not be as sexy, like, but that's what really helps you get to that balanced place. Right. So how the heck is all this connected to hormones? Oh gosh, how is it not? Um, <laughs> I always, I like to explain hormones and I know it's trendy. I know it's in my handle, um, but hormones are the last thing to change. So whatever hormone symptoms you are having, like with your, if you're tracking your cycle or if like some people, I feel like now everything is hormone related, like everyone has hormonal acne and all this stuff. And, um, a lot of it is that if that's happening now, that means that there are all these other steps and processes that occurred leading up to that. Cause our hormones in like stress hormones, sex hormones, thyroid hormone, even all of those react to other things. So um, like our digestion, we poop out excess estrogen, right? So like I dealt with constipation and that messed up my hormones a lot. You know, a lot of, I, I see a lot of women struggle with that. Um, if that's where we absorb our nutrients. So especially if you're under eating, but regardless, like if you are not absorbing the vitamins and minerals from your food and like cholesterol, healthy fats, protein, you're not gonna be able to make those hormones in the first place. And then of course, like the stress piece, where in like how I kind of talk about the nervous system and I do this a lot with clients is because if we are always in that fight or flight state, that's like a breakdown, like reactive state. Whereas we need to spend enough time in the parasympathetic, the relaxed state to digest our food, to make hormones, like to produce them. Um, So I think a lot of it is that 
they all work together. And so when we have like more kind of pushed off in one way, eventually it typically comes out in your hormones because they all work together. What are some of the key hormones that women have? Can you just do a little education for us and how they affect our bodies? Yeah. So um, I would say like the key ones would be estrogen and progesterone. Those are the ones that shift and kind of fluctuate the most throughout the month. Um, and thyroid, I would group thyroid hormone in with that because it has such a big impact like on the rest of our body. And I won't, there's like LH and FSH, which also impact things, but I think that might be going a little bit too deep. Um, and I don't know if you want me to kind of just go through like the shifts throughout the month. I think that's kind of the easiest way to understand like what, how your hormones change and impact. That would be great. Yeah. So, um, it starts with, so I'll start with like, you get your period. That's when your hormones are the lowest. They're the most similar to a man, which I think is interesting because we definitely don't feel that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Your hormones are the lowest. That's what causes you to get your period in the first place. And then they like throughout that, like once your period ends, your estrogen is building up. Estrogen is very important. I think it gets a bad rap. Um, Like everyone's estrogen dominant and stuff like that, but we need it. It's really important for blood sugar and like our insulin signaling. It's good for muscle growth and retention. Um, And it really helps boost that energy after your period. So that's like your follicular phase. Your estrogen is increasing and this increase causes ovulation to occur. So you grow that follicle, it gets stimulated and then it releases an egg. And then that's like kind of the next big hormone shift is that our estrogen's increasing. So is our testosterone during this time. So usually we have lots of energy, we can handle more stress. And then we get to this point where once we release that egg, now we're in our luteal phase. This is a phase I feel like most women don't like as much because we have higher hormone levels. A lot of people experience imbalances during this phase if they don't make enough progesterone, which can lead to like anxiety, digestive issues, and just not like PMS, moodiness, stuff like that. Um, But this phase is like our body slows down a bit. It's doing a lot more work, right? We're processing all these extra hormone levels. So it's normal to feel a little bit more fatigued. It's normal to have cravings. I argued with a functional medicine student about this yesterday, about cravings on internet and how women don't think it's not normal to have cravings for your period it is don't be afraid of them like I just find if you just eat the foods you'll feel better and you won't have as strong of cravings um but it's a harder time in the cycle especially like depending on your personality type you know like if you're very go 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 like you're not gonna love that time but if you can learn that hey oh I know what's happening in my body like this is like I have higher hormone levels my liver is working really hard I just need a little bit more rest usually you feel much better. Um, But those are kind of like the shifts throughout. And it's like, it impacts our mood, our brain power, like how, how we focus our energy, how we recover from exercise. So kind of learning those and understanding them, like for me has been so helpful to just kind of like accept my energy to excel at certain times in my cycle, like to schedule certain things at certain times and not schedule things at other times. um, And just really kind of like work it to make it work for me. Yeah. I always talk with my clients about, you know, cause we're focusing on their food cravings or whatever. And they notice like, well, well, I'm in my cycle, I'm craving carbohydrates and they really try to resist it. And I give education around, you know, it is your hormones changing, but also neurotransmitters in your brain. So as a result, your serotonin does have a reaction. Your body's craving carbs to bring back up that serotonin So I love that you hit on that point of like, hey, wait, if we actually are eating carbohydrates, 
if you're craving them or whatever other foods, it, it's our body's communication. And then we're actually, we're honoring its true needs and then our body can go about functioning and we may mentally feel better. So I appreciate you bringing that up. My other thought, and maybe this is like tapping into my own personal story, but like, you know, there's an autoimmune thyroid disorder runs in my family, like back probably five generations on my mom's side. And all of it was triggered post-pregnancy. So in that like postpartum thyroiditis, but it's not, it's an autoimmune. So, and then for me personally, my thyroid was skyrocket. My TSH was almost 15 when it got tested. Wow. Yeah. And the doctor was like, do you feel okay? And I'm like, no, I don't. I just thought this is how you were supposed to feel postpartum. And he was like, no. So with that, if you're talking about like functional medicine with, um, or just like honoring your body with individuals that are struggling with autoimmune that do affect our hormones, you know, I know there's different ways to go about it. Some choose natural medicine, some choose Western medicine. You know, it's like, for me personally, I do. I take thyroid medicine, um, but it was to help feel better quickly. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What, how, how would you speak to individuals that are like, well, I have an autoimmune. What do I do? So, and I think everyone kind of approaches it a little differently. I, cause I'm coming from that functional place. I'm like, well, let's look at your immune system. Right. Like, I think that's, I always want to get to like, what's the base of the issue. I have never seen an autoimmune condition that didn't have a gut component. And so making sure that you are digesting and absorbing properly, because that can cause inflammation in the gut, making sure that you have enough good bacteria and no parasites or pathogens that shouldn't be there because that can cause inflammation. Um, and then just the overall piece is like looking at that nervous system space. So I've had so much success with my autoimmune clients with doing more like cold therapy and cold exposure and breathing techniques, which are not like ice baths. Yeah. Like ice baths or cold showers or contrast showers because of what it does to our immune system, because it literally takes your body and forces it. It's like a hormetic, like a good stressor. And it forces it to like get out of that inflammatory state. Um, but a lot of my clients that have Hashimoto's, they do in fact use medication in the short term. It's interesting because with like a thyroid disorders, like I work with both that are you know, not autoimmune, autoimmune, the women that I've had the most success with getting off medication are always autoimmune because the, the issue isn't truly their thyroid. It's like a different place. So if we can get to that other issue, then it helps. This takes years, you know, of work for most people. Um, even just reducing medication just, or finding the right dose. I feel like that is so hard for people is like finding the dose that's really going to make them feel their best. But I look at it from an immune perspective and then stress. You have to be so responsible with your stress when you have an immune condition because again you're are you spending too much time in that stressed out state or are you more in the relaxed state do you get enough sleep like I've found that you just have to have things dialed in a little bit more you just have a little less flexibility like when it comes to you know your stress your sleep eating enough that kind of stuff where like it'll impact you a lot more than someone that does totally yeah I mean I think of when I was actually diagnosed with it I was I mean, I just had a baby, but I, I didn't recognize that anything was going on until my son was 10 months. And so I was living in that state for, I mean, 
who knows, months and months, you know? So that was helpful. And my brother loves ice baths. He bought a freezer, like a, like a coffin freezer, you know, the one that's like really big and like flips open and it's plugged in a deep freezer. Thank you. And, um, keeps it cold. It's on a timer. So it keeps it at a certain temperature and he does ice baths multiple times a day. What? Right? Genius. Yes. It sounds torturous. It's, I mean, he gets used to it. You know, it's like now he goes in, he could be in there for three minutes. Doesn't even affect him. Drew, my husband went in and was like hyperventilating for like five seconds. I'm like, can you get out? I'm scared you're going to pass out and die. So yeah. 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 If anyone's interested in learning more about that stuff, I would uh, look into researching Wim Hof. He's a he's like Wim Hof. Wim Hof. He's like he has a whole breathing technique and like cold oh, therapy. That is what my brother. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's really, but it's it's neat. They they do workshops. I went to one a couple weeks ago. It was life changing. Um, and the breathe even the breathing techniques alone, like that helps. And if we think of even yoga, like yoga has been getting people into that parasympathetic state for a long time so there's different ways you can kind of tap into that hey listeners tina here i hope you have been enjoying this episode discussing your period with amanda because we are chatting about your period we are hosting a giveaway with dot cup this week here's a little bit more info so we all have that friend who's obsessed with her menstrual cup right the thought of trying it can be intimidating but if you think about it It not only saves you about $150 a year and drastically reduces your environmental footprint, it also reduces trips to the bathroom since it holds up to three times more than a tampon. It's a win, win, win. The Dot Cup is a woman-owned startup company that operates on the buy one, give one model, providing a Dot Cup to a person in need with every purchase. If you've been thinking of making the switch, check them out at dotforall.com or on Instagram at dotcup. So we have partnered with Dot Cups this episode to do a giveaway over our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram at momjeanspodcast or join our Facebook group, Mom Jeans the Podcast, to find out details about the giveaway. But hurry, the giveaway launches the day the podcast episode drops and is only open for six days. Okay, back to our episode. So how can women start the process of trying to understand, you know, how their hormone levels or their thyroid levels might be impacting them? And if, and if that's the problem, how would how would a woman listening kind of start that process of figuring all this out? I would say like, number one, track your cycles. Um, obviously, if you're on a hormonal birth control, you're not going to, you don't have, you have like a withdrawal bleed. It's not a good true period. But like, if you're not, maybe you have a copper IUD, even the Mirena, honestly, a lot of times you can ovulate with the Mirena. Um, start tracking your cycles and paying attention to the changes that you have. How long is your cycle? How long is your period? Like there's so many things that are like normal versus not normal that can help you identify those imbalances. Um, I, I do have a free healthy period guide. It's like a little ebook download that takes you through the different phases. I recommend certain foods that can be helpful for certain phases, what's normal, what's not all that kind of stuff. So like how to track your cycle. I think that's the best place to start because we can collect so much information just from that. 
Yeah, I downloaded your ebook and we'll link it in the show notes because what I loved about what you're saying is here's a way to support your hormones and your cycle with gentle nutrition. We're not talking about cutting anything out. We're talking about when you're in this phase, try adding in these foods to support the whole entire bodily system and the digestion and then the hormone levels. And so I thought that was educational and also having help people kind of navigate how to heal themselves or find that peace with their hormones and with their food as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like as, as a dietitian myself, and I'm always like so protective of when people are giving out food recommendations because I'm like, is this some whack ass advice, man? You know? So one angle, if you could give us just an example, one example, and then on the other angle, validating to our listeners, like, hey, it would be the same as it's important to incorporate protein to make sure that there's muscle healing if you're doing some sort of heavy lifting. Or please incorporate more carbohydrates if you're going out on a run that day or something like that, you know? So we're looking at it from that hormonal level of saying, hey, wait, you're you're in this phase of your cycle or this is going on. We're just adding in to support. So can you touch on that a little bit more? I would say like the easiest kind of example for this, like I could do one for each phase. It's very simple. So like I, like I broke the cycle into four phases. It doesn't, I really truly with clients, we just focus on follicular luteal first half, second half, first half of your cycle, what's happening. Your estrogen's increasing different things. Some people don't have enough estrogen. Some people have too much. One of my favorite foods that can help you either way, doesn't push you in one direction or the other, but supportive are flax seeds. So like they have, especially if you grind them up, you have to like get the nutrients from them. So like I grind my ahead of time, I keep them in the freezer. I add them to like yogurt, to oatmeal, to smoothies, to dressings. And what they do is they help support the detoxification of estrogen because they have phytoestrogens. So they push it down the beneficial pathway. And if you have low levels, like you don't have enough, maybe you have low body fat, maybe you're kind of going through that perimenopausal phase, they can help boost your levels. So that's a great like example for that phase. And then if we think of the luteal phase, we have high hormone levels, right? Everything is raising what needs support. I think like our liver, right? Our liver has to process all those extra hormones. And so easy thing to support your liver, cruciferous veggies, because it contains a compound called DIM, which can have, like, it also helps with estrogen detox, but it's really just supporting your liver, giving it the nutrients that it needs to get through that phase one and phase two detox. So like cauliflower, broccoli, broccoli sprouts are my favorite. They have so many awesome nutrients in them. You can grow them at home. Um, think cabbage, things like that. Those all help support that phase. So like, I like just starting with one thing for each because it gets you paying attention to where you are in your cycle. And then also is very simple. And then if you start doing that for a few months, it's like, that's, that's great. That's a great consistent thing you can do to see if it helps. Yeah. And, and, and you use that trigger word detox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to say, so since you're a non-diet provider, I'd be curious how you use the word detox that isn't what the diet culture uses it for. So I use what detox is like clinically, which is like liver detox. So like we do detoxify. That's why I don't think we need, like, we don't need a detox. Like we detox every day because our- Yeah. Our, we have organs yeah. that already do it ourselves. Liver is yeah. the main organ, you know, kidneys. We like our guts are important for detox because we poop out our toxins. So it's so much more than just the liver. But when I think of like 
what's happening in the cycle. It's like your liver's responsible for that. And like things can slow down liver detox, but detox is, it's, it's like a pathway. It's in, it's something, it's also something that requires energy. So like sometimes people are like, cause your mean, your uh, metabolism actually increases a little bit before your period. So that's another thing you could tell people. <laughs> Which is why we need more food. Exactly. People are like, I don't know why I'm so hungry. Well, it's like, eh, you need more food. And right a now. part of that is that your body's working hard. Your liver's working hard. You're processing all these extra hormones. And so it is like an energetic thing. We need more calories and nutrients for it. So I look at it as like, what's it's something that actually happens in your body like you can't force detox you can't you, you can you can like gently support it with cruciferous veggies drinking water like sweating moving but there's no way to actually like do a detox yeah you can't do a juice cleanse or which doesn't whatever. even work I, I, <laughs> because you need protein to detox it's, so juice it's trendy ah, again there you go yeah hey um, I like, but again, to the point of gentle nutrition, you're going, no, if you add all these things in, you're supporting your natural detoxification system. So again, we're going to claim some of these words back from the wellness culture and talk a little bit about the clinical terminology of it and how we're trying to support that. So women can have this relationship with their bodies that is, is educational, but also peaceful. Yeah, I know. And I don't love like like even like toxins and stuff like that. But I just think it's so important to educate around it because it's like, these are things that are naturally happening all the time, every month, whether you like it or not. And instead of being like, oh, I can't eat this because it can inhibit detox. It's like, how about you go for a walk that day, drink dandelion tea or eat some broccoli sprouts instead, like adding stuff into your life rather than taking it out. It's less stressful. It's, it's also like, it's more compassionate and it's like you're doing things for yourself you know, like you're taking care of yourself. And I think that puts you in a very good place. It builds your confidence. It like builds your self-worth, you know, like you're prioritizing yourself. I just think those are all so important for healing. What would you say to mamas that are breastfeeding and having irregular periods or not getting their period at all? Why does that happen? How can they support themselves there? I would say like, number one, have some patience because when you're breastfeeding, like we're making more of a hormone called prolactin, which inhibits ovulation. And so if we don't ovulate, we're not passing that egg. We don't get a period. Sometimes you'll get like, um, like breakthrough bleeds. If you haven't had a period in a long time, I've seen that quite a bit with like postpartum and stuff, or if you haven't had a period for a while, but I would say like the biggest thing is give it time what I've learned the most with this is that everyone is so different. You know, like one of my best friends had a baby. She got her first period after three months and she was like, oh, I was so soon. Like I wasn't ready, you know, like bummer. Yeah. It, but then like, I have a couple clients that they're like eight months postpartum and they still don't have their period yet. And I'm like, if you just, you have to be patient. One of them was working out too much. She stopped that and then she got her period. So there's, there's a lot of different factors at play. Totally. Always make sure you're eating enough. I mean, that, that's like the number one thing that's going to keep you from getting your period is like not eating enough and stress. Um, and, but really it's that prolactin. So if you're, if you're, especially if you're like truly breastfeeding that whole time, it's like, you're probably making more of that so that you're not, you're not going to ovulate. And can you get pregnant if you are not getting your period and breastfeeding, even though it's like, well, you're not ovulating tina do you have an announcement <laughs> just can't i know i'm like that'll out a lot no 
No, you, I do not have an announcement. Jeez. <laughs> if you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant. But that uh, that postpartum period is very tricky, right? The especially like so, I use fertility awareness. I track my fertility, my fertile signs, to avoid pregnancy right now. So that all goes out the window, like postpartum, because your cervical mucus isn't the same. You, you bleed a ton after, whether you do a vaginal birth or not, because you have to shed that uterine lining. Nothing is the same. Your temps aren't consistent because you're not getting enough sleep. So I haven't personally gone through this. I have quite a few clients um, and some good friends that have, but it's like, I would have a, a backup birth control method in that instance, because that, I think that is like, yes, and some level, if you're breastfeeding and you're prolactin's high, you're not ovulating, you can't get pregnant. But that shifts for everyone because like my younger sister, she breastfed, she's still breastfeeding. She got her period after like three months and she started ovulating again. So even though she was only like strictly breastfeeding. So it's like, it doesn't always prevent it. So you always want to have like, you know, if that's not your kind of right. dream it's is to get pregnant safe. again right away. Yeah, no fail safe there. How can mamas who are already exhausted, whose bodies are already struggling with getting the nourishment they need, how can they really take care of themselves during that PMS period? Because, I mean, we're already crazy as it is, plus on PMS, plus as a mom, and then the combination of the two. So I was curious if you could speak to that at all. Yeah. So I would like if you're experiencing a lot of PMS, usually it's because you don't have enough progesterone to match your estrogen. So like they should be the same, but it's really easy to deplete that progesterone. And one of the biggest depleters is going to be stress. So I would say like, this is the time where you need to prioritize like your kind of like big non-negotiables. And that's going to look different for everyone. Like I say like sleep for everyone, because like if you just get a little bit more sleep or a little bit more relaxation time during that period, you're going to feel better. Our bodies are less conducive to handling stress at that time. You know, whatever it is to kind of like reduce that stress a bit. And like, maybe it's communicating with your partner being like, Hey, I'm going to sleep more one day or like, Hey, I'm going to need you to help me with this so that you have a little bit less on your plate. I like to really front load with my cycle, try to get way more done during those first few weeks when I have the energy to do it. And then like plan in time to chill the week leading up to my period doesn't always work out life happens but like the whole point of this is that like our society is not built this way we we definitely live in a man's world we are expected to show up the same exact version of ourselves every single day but as women that's not how we are so one understanding that and two looking at how can you like work these things this like cyclical type of living into your day-to-day doesn't have to be perfect but like, what can you do to be a little bit more compassionate with yourself to support yourself during that time? I love that. I've never thought about looking. I mean, I track my cycle just so I know if I have to like pack tampons for my trip or something. But I, I love that concept of also tracking your cycle in order to make sure that you're building in your productivity and your rest appropriately. I mean, I always think back to like, you know, the old times, the biblical times and the red tent, like women all went into this place together to have like a week plus of like rest and and community and honoring their cycles and honoring their bodies. So I've always wished we still had that. Wouldn't that be amazing now? Yes. Hey girl, I'm going to come in the tent. You want to hang out? We're all going to bleed together. That would be nice. Right? Yeah. And make, I'll bring chocolate. Right? Like- <laughs> 
and make the men all like be like, what do we do now? We have to cook and bathe the children. Figure it out. I think our ancestors really honored the women's cycle more than we do today. So I think that's interesting for you to say, you know, mamas, you can honor it within yourself, even if our culture is not. Yeah. And it's not easy. I, I would just say like, be patient with this process because as you start to kind of figure it out, then I get so many women that are like, Oh, but I I had my period. Then I had to like work 12 hours that day or like I didn't get any sleep. And it's like, it's going to happen sometimes. It's literally just you noticing that and noticing that, Hey, maybe I'll rest a little bit the next few days. Like that's the point. Yeah, totally. I mean, my mind just went to, as you guys were saying that of like, yo, we are speaking to the privilege of being able to like take rest. Like, there are individuals there being like, I'm working three jobs. I have kids and a family and whatever. And like, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't kumbaya on my period. You know, like it's, it's not fair. It, it, it isn't fair that our system, our, our, our world, our culture is not designed to where we all take a break and go to the rent tent together and have a week, a week off where we could just bleed and, and chill. No, but to your point, that self-talk can exist. Even if yes. you're working a lot of jobs and you can't take that break, telling yourself, like, I need to honor the fact that my body is just struggling right now or it's depleted of these hormones or it's depleted maybe of these nutrients. And so I need to make sure I'm adding more nutrients in. Like, it, you know, that, that self-talk and that honoring yourself can occur. So I like those points, Amanda. I've created a new tagline. We're all going to bleed and chill. <laughs> Hashtag bleed and chill. <laughs> Bleed and chill. Since you brought up like the idea of like privilege and stuff around your period, I I can't let that go without saying like period poverty is a thing. So I've done a lot of work with like period movement and great organizations like that and education around this. And like, and I feel like it's so easy to get so caught up in wellness culture or like the more we get educated on things, the better we want to do. And sometimes that will like, we'll let ourselves stress out over it, but taking a step back and remembering that even worrying about all this stuff, it is a privilege that not everyone has, but also like even just like hygiene and like health. I mean, so many women don't have access to tampons. All those things are taxed in over 30 states in the United States. And it, it's pretty crazy. Like, like some countries, like you get a, the first two days of your period off. They have a lot of other laws I wouldn't agree with. <laughs> but um, like we definitely have a lot more freedom here. But I just think it's interesting that in other countries, like the, they do recognize that and you do get one to two days off a month for your period like think about school that that's the number one reason that young girls miss school is because of their period what are some of your favorite organizations that you like to support i love period inc or like they have they're just period in all caps um online like i worked with their period houston location they also have a period austin i'm in texas um yeah so um but they have a they have an organization but it's it's all and it's crazy because it is founded by this like super young chick she actually ran for political office in boston or massachusetts somewhere um i believe and she's just like a powerhouse and they educate they not only educate but they bring period products so like tampons pads they also educate around menstrual cups, which I love because I love they it's single it's not a single use product, right? I know menstrual cups, I never thought I'd use one. I also use period panties now, which I never thought I would use. It's great because they're like they bring education around your period. They their whole goal is to like reduce the stigma 
you know like and I I think that's like the issue with being a woman is that like your period's supposed to suck you're supposed to be in pain you know like it's it's you're supposed to not like it you're supposed to dread it and it's something that like at all costs we should avoid with like hormonal birth control and stuff like that and so they're kind of educating around like here's what happens here's how to take care of yourself here's how to make sure you don't get infections here's how to use your period products appropriately um and it's all with kind of like those uh underserved populations which i think is really cool that's great i mean that that flows me in like what do you think is missing from the women's healthcare system like what do most women receive as far as messages or like myths that you want to bust about our healthcare system? I think that we just need more research on women, right? So like a lot of women are excluded from research studies because we're complicated because we have hormonal fluctuations, even though testosterone fluctuates a lot more than our hormones on a daily basis. Um, and Or we're put on the pill as a control during the study. So it's like, maybe there is a better birth control method or maybe there is there are other options or something that could like move our health care forward that just isn't because of the fact that like we are not researched well like think just furthering that research and sharing it with women i it's like think about if we go back to like when you were in school like what you learned about i mean i didn't i learned very little i got my period before i even watched the health video so I thought I was dying. Um, Literally, I just learned about our period and pregnancy as I got pregnant and from our last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just think if we just had more of that knowledge at a younger age, you know, like even just about our cycles and stuff, totally. that would, that just would, I don't know. Cause I think about how obsessed I was with what I looked like and what I ate and dieting and all this stuff and like not wanting my period. I had a really terrible, like painful period. And like, if I just had more information about myself and like my body, I think I would have like been a lot better just like in every area. Totally. I feel like as we're speaking, we're all syncing up because <laughs> Because I feel my body cramping. So anyways. But I think that's a great point because body peace comes from understanding your genetics and understanding your body. So I think understanding your period and honoring it and not having it be a stigma or not being something gross. I mean, it for it's an inconvenience no matter how much education we get. But also just kind of figure out how can I take care of myself during it and how can I honor my body? And also how can I just respect the fact that like this is a very life-giving force that like my body has been given and and it's a blessing especially if someone has has not had a period like all of a sudden you realize how much we take it for granted so kind of reframing our attitude towards it I think is an interesting perspective you're bringing up well so or do you have anything else you want to add anything less bits so I would just say like at the end of the day I feel like as women, like a lot of us overthink things, a lot of us like want to optimize our health and do the right thing. And there's so much information out there. Like we're, we're constantly being given messages and the best thing, if you are like super confused, you don't know where to start. The first thing I would do is to just like stop following all those people on social media, try to like like detox I know you guys don't like that word but I'm gonna use it anyway detox your detox like the information that you're taking in look at the shows that you're watching like 
you know, like the people that are on the shows, like all that stuff, who are you following? Who are you getting your information from? If you are not getting your nutrition information, information from a dietitian, like take it with a grain of salt. Um, and then like, get quiet with yourself. I think we're always looking to other people like to tell us what to do or tell us what we need, but the only person that's going to know what you need is you. And so I, I think there's something to say that like solitude is really helpful and it's not always comfortable. I hate doing that kind of stuff, but that's why I do it. And that's why I recommend other people do it, but no one knows yourself like you do. And so if you think something's wrong, it probably is. And I think just trusting yourself a little bit to dig deeper is kind of the best place to start. Yeah. I've so appreciated this. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because one, we created the tagline bleed and chill Two, my brother's going to be so excited that now I'm going to take ice baths with him. And three, we all have synced up on our period. I'm probably going to start tomorrow. So, um, can you tell our listeners where to find you? Because you just have great info and are fabulous. Thank you. Um, so I would say like I'm most active on Instagram. You can follow me. Yeah, at your formal- Instagram page, PS, like Rachel and I are like drooling. We're we're still figuring it out. It's it's tell us your secrets. Anyways, go ahead. Oh, it's a lot of work, but it's really fun. I love educating around women's health. So it's at Hormone Healing RD. Um, I'm super active on there. I post almost every day educational posts. I'm not reposting other people's. I'm not doing memes, although I do love memes. Um, it's a lot of great content. And then my website, I, I'm like getting better keeping up with my blog. I'm trying to turn a lot of my Instagram posts into blogs because I get so many questions. So it's hormonehealingrd.com. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thanks for having yeah. me. It was a great conversation. Seriously, I like being challenged. I like that we talked about hard things that, you know, we might not all agree on. Sure. I think it's really yeah. cool. Thank you. Well, we hope that you all enjoyed the interview with Amanda. And did anyone sync up with us? I'm pretty sure we're all having some massive period right now. <laughs> We love that Amanda also brought up the concept of period privilege. We really wish we had more time to devote to this important topic, and we plan to swing back to it in future episodes thanks to her bringing it more to our attention. But we wanted to at least link in our show notes on our website some amazing organizations such as UNICEF and Period Inc. if you want to become more involved in supporting women's health in this way. So our takeaway question is... How can you take one step towards becoming more aware about your hormones and body communication? Is that through tracking your cycle, your cravings, your sleep patterns, or your mood? Or does it mean that you're going to honor more self-care when you are on your period so that you can recognize that your body may need more rest? We appreciate all of you and support you taking the steps towards honoring what your body is requesting. Have a great week and talk to you next time. And remember, take some time to bleed and chill. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.